Life can change in an instant. We have been collectively clobbered by that this week. As we watch the events unfold just down the road, 90 minutes in Uvalde. On Tuesday morning, 21 families got up to a regular morning. And that evening, they laid down in the midst of their worst nightmare. Countless other families from that school welcomed their children home, scarred by violence, traumatized. Others ended up here in San Antonio where their loved ones battled for their lives in surgery theaters and ICU beds. As a parent of a elementary school student, I can imagine how Tuesday morning went for those families. I do it every day. Getting your 10-year-old out of bed, negotiating what they want for breakfast, reminding them to brush their hair, their teeth, getting them out the door with backpacks, walking them to the school or the bus stop, or driving them to the drop-off line. Boring. Routine. The evening would have been similar. After school, hair, pick up, no homework because it's the last week of school, maybe sports practice or play date, dinner, chores, bedtime. But regular life was violently stopped for those families Tuesday. Yet another incident of mass violence. We promise every time this happens in a school or a supermarket or a church that it's not going to happen again. And in this newest installation of the nightmare of mass violence, a madman with an AR-15, an unstable person with access to a weapon that was made to kill as many as possible in the shortest amount of time, walked into a school. And it worked. The tool that he chose, that he was able to go purchase, did its job. This wasn't grandpa's hunting rifle, y'all. It was a tool of mass murder, and it worked. Life can change in an instant. This morning in our Gospels, or in our scriptures, we see a few examples of life changing on a dime, and then God's responses to these shifts. The first is in our book of Acts that Karen read earlier. Um, the early church was so passionate, so transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and their lives had been, had been changed in a way that they lived it truly every day. So in our text, we saw Paul and Silas traveling with the good news, and they came upon a young woman who had a spirit of divination, some kind of, of spirit that told the future and told people's fortunes, and the people who had enslaved her used it to line their pockets. Uh, Paul and Silas were imprisoned for not respecting the rights and resources of the wealthy who were using her to their advantage when they cast out that demon. The wealthy folk who had enslaved her did not like that their, um, that their income stream was taken away, and so they threw Paul and Silas into prison for taking their human trafficking profit margins away from them. While Paul and Silas were in prison, they, again, transformed by the good news of God, took it upon themselves, even in those moments, 
of darkness and fear after they had been beaten to sing and proclaim the goodness of God from their cell. As they sang and proclaimed that goodness and for all to hear in the middle of the night, the earthquake came and the doors to the prison opened. Everyone could have gone free. But Paul and Silas were not on the road to benefit themselves, as it turns out. They were inspired by the oneness that Jesus had referred to in the prayer in our gospel this morning. That incredible oneness that Jesus prayed for right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed for us, he said, I pray for these and I pray for the ones who will hear about me through them. That's us. That's us in the apostolic tradition. We have all heard. We have heard these stories, and then we have seen them to be true in the love of God. His prayer wove themes of connectedness and oneness. He wanted us to know how inextricably we are linked in God's love to God, to one another, even to ourselves. And Paul and Silas got that. Any of us, I, or maybe I can just speak for myself, I would have run away if the doors opened. I would have run away. I wouldn't want to get beat again. I wouldn't want to get stoned to death. I wouldn't want to get dragged out into the, into the town square. I wouldn't have wanted to stay for that. But Paul and Silas stayed without a thought to their own safety. And because they decided to be one with God instead of taking care of themselves, a family got to have a normal night. Because remember the jailer? He came in, he saw all the doors open, he knew that the powers that be would need a pound of flesh, and it would be him, that he would be held responsible. So he took out his sword so that he could kill himself. Paul and Silas knew that he would be held responsible, so they stayed. For the sake of this man, out of compassion for someone that they did not even know. The jailer's family would have had a similar night to so many grieving in our communities this week. They would have screamed when they found out, cried themselves to sleep, not known how to go forward from there. Having lost their father, husband, son, and brother, it was not just a grief from losing him, but also since he was the, the man of the house, they could have possibly lost everything they had. And since he killed himself, they could have even lost their status in the community. It's potential that their entire family would have been lost in this tragedy. So Paul and Silas staying behind and saying, wait, wait, don't hurt yourself, we have not left, was an incredible, incredible act of changing and shifting the tide of escalating violence that happens so often in our evil world. They stopped it in its tracks by thinking about other people before themselves and by inhabiting a space of compassion and self-sacrifice so that the future could be different. Because of, their fair, because of their care, because of them stopping that cycle of violence, a family did not have to spend their night mourning 
Instead, the family celebrated with a meal together. They got baptized into this new, incredible faith. They were inspired by the hope that came from, from these men doing something totally outside of the norm. They did not have to hear yet another public debate from self-centered, polarized politicians about rights or carefully constructed statements meant to appease lobbies. They didn't have to hear any of that stuff. Instead, they got to celebrate together, eat as a family whole, and be baptized into a new way of living that stops violence, that goes a new direction, that looks at the cycles around us and says, we do not belong to this. There is a different way forward. Jesus spent his last prayers asking God to show us that we belong to each other. That nothing can happen to a young enslaved girl or a Roman employer, employed jailer or a fourth grade teacher or a 10 year old child or a homeless teenager or a depressed senior citizen. Nothing can happen to any of those without affecting us all, every one of us. And we have to be awake to that reality in order to move forward into a new day. Because, y'all, what if we are the answer to Jesus' prayer? What if we being one is the answer to Jesus' last prayer? What if we took it seriously that we belong to each other? What if we shouldered that weight and work while also getting the sheer joy and love of being in the flow of God's direction? The direction of belonging, of peace, of stopping violence, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of grace, of love, of resurrection. Jesus prayed out loud so that we could hear that we need to be one. And that we would, when we were faced with the hurt of others, act in solidarity, act in compassion, putting the long-term needs of others above our own needs for the short term, to stay in that prison, if what it means is that an entire family will be set free, living and working in that flow. Church, I don't have to tell you that the world is tired of hearing thoughts and prayers. I'm tired of hearing I'm a pastor. It has never been enough in the face of an evil like what happened a few days ago. We must put our prayer in action. The only thing I can say about what can we do, because some of y'all have been texting me this week, some of y'all have been reaching out to me this week, distressed, of course, we're all heartbroken. What can we do, pastor, what can we do? I think that Jesus is telling us in our gospel that we have to act as though it happened to us. Imagine that your baby died in there on Tuesday. What would you do next? What would you demand? What would your broken heart need? God has told us we are one, so we get to act accordingly. We get to collectively be the answer to Jesus' prayers Jesus' prayers for the world, for the, those in need, 
for even our own friends. Getting to be the agents of healing and love, Christ's body on earth, Jesus' hands, Jesus' feet. Despite the ugliness and evil, pure evil that we saw this week in our world. As Anne Lamott likes to say, grace always bats last. The trajectory of God's love for us is toward the incredible promise of our Revelation text that all manner of things will be well. And in the meantime, we must remember that we are one and act with the needs of the community and humanity and others in the forefront of our minds so that we can make this present, this present dangerous world, a reflection of the ultimate victory of God's hope, of God's love, of God's life. We are one.